Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Bob Woodward has been in the public eye for around a half a century and is an author of more than a dozen best-selling books, including All the President's Men and this year's Fear, Trump and the White House. Woodward is visiting the State Theater in Minnesota in December, and I recently chatted with him about the book, The President, The State of Journalism, and much more. There are, of course, any number of angles you could have taken with the book, and I'm curious what your objective in writing the book was, and, and did it change as you were writing it? Uh, it did not. I really saw you can focus on his untruthful statements, and that's part of the story, but not enough. The Mueller investigation, special counsel inquiry into Russian meddling in the election and whether... Trump or his associates were involved in colluding or coordinating that is a very serious, very important story. I uh, did not find out new information about it, but uh, what he does as president is key. And I've written now books about nine presidents and in the National security war area is very important, and all of the domestic issues very important. So uh, some of this was covered, but not the real behind-the-scenes meaty debate that I was able uh, to get detail on and take people to uh, discussions, and you can see the rationale, and you can see where Trump will just close his mind on things. You'll see is a closest aides will say, where'd you get that idea? Well, I've had it for 30 years. Uh, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong. The book is called Fear, and several times in the book, the phrase or variations of the phrase, fear is power, is repeated. So I'm curious, why was that concept so significant to you in your reporting and, and writing of the book? It comes out of uh, Trump's own mouth. Uh, two and a half years ago when uh, I and another reporter interviewed him, he was just on the verge of getting the Republican nomination. This is uh, the spring of 2016. And uh, we asked him about power because the presidency is about power. And Obama had said some things about power and that real power comes from not having to use violence. That's what uh, Obama said. And finally, it was, it was a moment, it was almost Shakespearean, like Hamlet turning in a famous aside to the audience and saying, this is what's really going on. This is what's happening. And Trump did that and, and said, real power is, I don't even like to use the word, real power is fear. And it struck me there was something about he was speaking when he said, I, I don't want to use the word, but then he did, classic Trump. And uh, you look at what he does, and he, he scares the daylights out of people, not just uh, in the world or in the United States, but his staff, and says things and proposes things. They have to steal uh, documents off his the resolute desk in the Oval Office to keep him from doing some of these uh, impulsive things that would really jeopardize the country and trade and security agreements and top-secret intelligence partnerships. 
Clearly, you've been in Washington a long time. You've covered a lot of administrations, uh, including the Richard Nixon administration. And I'm, I'm wondering if Trump is, as he's portrayed in the book and as you've described him here in our conversation, which uh, I would characterize him as uh, described as stubborn, short attention span, a liar, a potential danger to the country. Why do you think more people close to him and in his administration haven't come forward to to share that message as they did in, in some cases with you for your book? Well, in lots of cases they did with me across the national security field, across the trade and economic area. You really see how he operates and to be quite honest with you, I found out by, I told President Trump this in August when he called, President Trump called me to complain that I hadn't interviewed him and I uh, said there are all these times I tried to, to get to you through people close to you. He finally acknowledged that. But I said to him explicitly, you have, I couldn't get answers to the real question of what was going on by going to the White House. I had to go to people's homes, and quite honestly, I'd become lazy and not done enough of that in recent reporting. So I was refocused on really, there's something about somebody's home where I think, generally speaking, they'll be more honest. What was the most surprising thing that you discovered about Donald Trump as you were writing and researching the book? Overall, the people closest to him are the ones who are the most alarmed by his behavior. Uh, second, that in the national security area, he's got some ideas that we shouldn't spend money on joint defense agreements uh, like uh, NATO or the South uh, Korean agreement. We have 28,000 troops there or in the Middle East and he, he harps on the how expensive this is. So we're being at, at National Security Council meetings. We're being played uh, for suckers. We could be so rich if we were not smart and the generals and the Secretary of Defense uh, just say, no, no, <laughs> those are the best dollars we spend and these are for joint agreements the money we spend in nato isn't just to protect nato countries in europe it's to protect the united states and finally trump goes on so long about this and asks you know why are we spending this money uh, secretary of defense mattis says to him one of the most uh, bracing things I've ever heard anyone tell a president. Well, we're doing this to prevent World War III. That the President of the United States has to be told that by the Secretary of Defense is stunning because a president, I am, the work I've done, I, I think seven or so of my uh, 19 books had been about wars that the president's job, number one job, is to prevent World War III, to prevent the use of nuclear weapons. And this was an NSC meeting after Trump had been president for a year. It's not his first week on the job, and he still had, they still have to try to pound in these points. And 
there's a lot of evidence that he does not accept the arguments. As somebody who, uh, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, with your experience, you've seen and done just about everything when it comes to journalism. I, I'm curious what goes through your mind when you hear a story like that recounted uh, and, and you understand something about the, the temperament and the behavior of the president. What are you thinking? Uh, you know, that's such an uh, interesting personal question. Uh, I've done this for 47 years now, reporting, and you become very uh, interested in what the facts are, and you become uh, very empirical, and, you know, I hear this, let's check it, let's verify it, uh, make sense of it, put it in context. Uh, but uh, when you assemble all that's in this book, and it's, uh, we better wake up to what's going on, uh, that this is, uh, the, the White House is a policy casino. Uh, Trump used to be in the casino business, and to a certain extent he has brought this to the White House of, well, let's just try this, let's, impose steel tariffs when everyone, you know, except maybe a couple of economists, a couple of people in the White House say that this does not gain us anything. These tariff wars, uh, I just read a report from the Federal Reserve of Dallas saying in Louisiana, the economic output of the state is down 7% because of these tariffs that the president is imposing. So there, there's a lot to be worried about. Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the midterm election and whether there's support for this or not. Which raises an interesting question, and you were just talking about facts a moment ago. You've said before that the job of a journalist is to get at the best attainable version of the truth. And some are calling what we're living in uh, as a, a post-fact era, and facts maybe have less of an impact on decision-making in the political world than they have at other times, or at least that's the perception. Um, what challenges does that present the modern journalist? Well, you just have to uh, dig into and keep working on it. And in the, en in the end, we all live in a world of facts. And, uh, you know, that the cold water uh, faucet is, uh, you know, on the left or on the right, and we know which side it's on, and that uh, doesn't change. And uh, there are facts, and as Senator Moynihan said, people are entitled to their own opinion, but they not, are not entitled to their own facts. You cannot privatize facts. And uh, that's part of the danger here. And another part of the danger is that we have a secret government uh, that it loved everyone in government seems to love secrets. Well, we need to know what's going on. And quite frankly, I don't think we know enough about what goes on behind the scenes. 
I wanted to ask you about the concept of fake news. You, you must have an opinion on what that means and, and what it's, uh, what kind of an effect that it's had on consumers of news. What do you think well, about it, that? It's an ingenious uh, effort by Trump to make the conduct of the news media the issue, not his conduct. And it's... Um, it's worked to a certain extent, I think, and people are suspicious of the media, and so we can't, in the media, rail or complain about the customers. Uh, we have a product. We need to make it more credible and believable, and I think that means being more factual, really digging into serious matters, and bleaching out our own personal conclusions or feelings about things, which I think often comes through on television, and we need to, we need to uh, dial it down. The news cycle of this era is so rapid. I'm curious, do you already have plans for a follow-up? And there are so many <laughs> things that have happened even since the book came out that, you could, that are significant uh, historical events that you could write about. What's next? Well, I don't know, and that's... Uh, you know, I thought you were going to say, well, is the next book ready? And uh, it's it's certainly not. Uh, you know, I'll try to absorb what's happening. Uh, but this, you know, this I when President Trump called me in August, uh, I said, this is a pivot point in history. And he agreed. He agreed. It, this is a pivot point in history. And... Uh, in school, my grandchildren's children are going to be writing and thinking and studying this. This is how we come out of this is going to tell us a lot about the country and who we are and where we're going. I know that when the book came out, the the phone conversation between yourself and the president was released. Uh, and in the days after the book came out, he tweeted things calling your credibility into question. Have you had any contact with the president since the book came out? No, I, I have not. In August, he said I'd always treated him fairly. Obviously, he's changed his mind. And, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm on his call list. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you, from uh, as one journalist to another, uh, one, of the, one of the pieces of information in your bio was Robert Gates, the former director of the CIA and Secretary of Defense, saying that you have an extraordinary ability to get responsible adults to spill their guts uh, and to get people to talk about things that they shouldn't is extraordinary and unique. And I'm wondering, I don't want to ask you what's your secret, because I don't know that you would say that necessarily, but tell me how you developed that over the years. Well, I, I just uh, deal with people uh, openly, uh, take them as seriously as they take themselves, uh, not be in a hurry. I have the luxury of time to work on long projects. I dropped out of doing stories for the Post and doing uh, television interviews while I was working on this for about a year. Uh, the other thing, that, that quote from Gates, uh, I obviously 
really strongly disagree. He said, oh, I get people to spill their guts about things they shouldn't be talking about. Uh, I so disagree. The, this is the public's business. The public needs to know what goes on. No, no one knows better than uh, Bob Gates that I, in the course of reporting, I learned things that I don't publish because they could harm the national security. But I get information to describe what what's happened as best I can, and people like him think, oh. The public shouldn't know. We better not let the republic, the the public in on this. Well, BS. Uh, public needs to know. And as I say, big worry, secret government, concentration of secret decisions that uh, impact everyone. We need to get it out in the open much more. And uh, his perspective that somehow I'm getting people to spill their guts uh, is just wrong. I'm getting people that I develop relationships of trust with to, to find out what, uh, what really happened. The concept of nationalism is something that's brought up several times in your book, and the president has brought it up since it came out. How significant of a, of a word is that that we should watch for in the days ahead here, and what are the implications of that? We shouldn't worry about the words, but we should worry about the ideas behind them. I have in the book where the president is drafting a speech and editing it, and I've actually, in his own handwriting, put it in the book where he writes, trade is bad. Now, he never said that literally, but this nationalism, this idea of, oh, we can isolate ourselves, is the problem. Trade is not bad. Trade is is a good thing. Helps the country, helps consumers. They We buy things from China or Europe or wherever we buy them from, because they're cheaper and they're better quality. And we can't somehow kind of, oh, let's stop that with uh, with tariffs. That's good for consumers. If you buy something, have you ever bought something from China? Yes. Yes. And why did you buy it? Because it was better quality because, or it was cheaper and uh what does what does that do for you? That means you have more money to spend on other things, or actually more money to save. So we uh, that this nationalism, this let's isolate ourselves, let's uh, avoid trading with other countries, is a mistake. That, and that's not my judgment. That's the judgment of ninety nine percent of the economists who it, it, look at these issues. But left, right, Democrats, Republicans, independents, people in the center, it, and there is a, a cliche that two countries that have McDonald's, the hamburger place, in their country will never go to war. And it's a way of saying if there is trade, if there is uh, an openness to our economic systems with each other that will avoid war. And I, there's a lot of evidence to support that. 
And the very last sentence in the book is essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, is that the, the president is a liar. Uh, that's a pretty... This is a conclusion by not some critic of the president's, by, but by John Dowd, who is the president's, was the president's personal attorney in the Mueller investigation for eight months. They were, worked together and, and, uh, Dowd re- finally reached the conclusion after a practice session with the president that the president can't tell the truth. He makes things up. And if he were to testify under oath to special counsel Mueller, uh, he would lie and he would as, uh, John Dowd put it, wind up in a orange jumpsuit. How much damage do you think it does, the the nature of some of the news that we have today, which is on its face biased information for one political party or another, how much do you think that convolutes the process of finding the truth and how damaging is that? Well, it does, but uh, there are cable news shows on the uh, more... Uh, on the left side, MSNBC, CNN, uh, are, you know, have gone berserk about Trump. And Fox News on the other side uh, essentially loves everything he does. There still is neutral uh, reporting. And my newspaper and New York Times, Wall Street Journal, lots, lots of others. Uh, but we've been inflamed. And uh, Trump lit that match, and as I was saying, it's very effective, and so it creates doubt, and uh, we need to be very careful how we work and the tone of how we present things in newspapers, magazines, television, radio. Well stated, Mr. Woodward. You've been very generous with your time today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, sir. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Bob Woodward will be at the State Theater in Minneapolis Monday, December 3rd. For more information, you can visit hennepintheatertrust.org.